Broadcasting from high above the reserve, this is Radio Harambe. Jambo, everyone, and thank you, as always, for tuning in to Radio Harambe, the companion podcast to our website, jamboeveryone.com. I am Dave McBride, broadcasting from the Radio Harambe studios, and joining me from somewhere in the world is Safari Mike. Mike, where are you today? Jumbo Dave, I'm in Royal Chitwan National Park. Royal Chitwan. That sounds very familiar. It's a very famous national park. Yeah, Royal Chitwan. That sounds very, very familiar. I want to say... I can't think of the name of the... What's the the country Everest is in? (laughs) What country is... uh, Nepal. Nepal. It came... Dave... I am in Nepal. Yeah! <laughs> it only took me 72 episodes. <laughs> Is that what we're on the 72nd Something episode? Something like that. Yep, 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 yep. Dave, we're here studying the sloth bear. Which wow. Is a small little uh, black furry bear that is actually the inspiration to Baloo from uh, Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book, which, of course, all you Disney fans know. Yeah. It is a nocturnal insect eater. It's unusual for bears in that it is... It mostly eats insects, and its name actually uh, translates from Latin to mean uh, uh, insatiable craving for honey. And it just, you know, it loves honey. And it also eats berries and fruits when they're in season. But they mostly eat insects. Yeah, I I mean, that's like one of... The the National Park itself is, is I think, like one of those world historic sites, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I'm not mistaken. And, and it's, uh, yeah, that's how I know it. It's because it, you know, it, it was it's such an inspiration to so many things. It's on so many History Channel things. And it is quite famous. Yeah, yeah. God, I can't believe I finally got one. <laughs> yes! Well, on this show, Mike and I are to discuss all the news from Disney's Animal Kingdom. There's quite a bit, and I believe there's a lot from the the rest of Walt Disney World as well. And then in our final segment, it's time for another Animal Kingdom throwdown. (laughs) This time it's going to be uh, the moderators turn debaters. Yes. If you you don't know what we're talking about, uh, go to our um, show from last week and listen to that. Basically... You're going to have two people debating a subject and uh, two moderators asking questions. And the subject has something to do with the animal kingdom. And uh, myself or Mike will be the ones defending the animal kingdom. Before we go on with the local news, Mike, I just want to send a thanks to our friend Aruna Mohan. Um, I am completely um, no longer like capable of doing any sort of... Um, <laughs> 
blogging or writing of any kind because I have a nine-month-old child who runs around the, the house all day and uh, really don't have time to do much but other than this. Um, and Aruna sent you and I, Mike, some great stuff from Kruger National Park, mm-hmm. including an incredibly usable baseball hat that has these really awesome LED lights on them that I could, I could totally see somebody really that really coming in handy when you're in a place like Kruger at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to, I know she listens, and I just wanted to say thank you to her for sending us that stuff that was really generous and really thoughtful of her. And, um, but while you're saying that, I yeah. got a, a gift not that long ago from uh, listener Ken who sent me a... Uh, Radio Harambe, or no, excuse me, a Harambe. You know the shield for Harambe? Yeah, of course. It's I have that as a mouse pad now. Wow, very cool. Very, <laughs> very cool. Well, thanks to both of you for that, for your generosity and uh, and such such thoughtfulness. I mean, the, the great, great stuff. Um, so let's get right into the news, Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. Pizza Fari opened. Uh, I mean, we're recording this uh, a couple days before it comes out, and it be- and I believe it just opened up today. Right. Um, I don't have pictures yet of the interior, so, so I don't know if it's changed at all. But the exterior is finally revealed. I think that's the part that really was changing the most as far as color mm-hmm. schemes and things like that go. And we're getting finally our look at it with the walls down we've been kind of peering over the walls for the last few weeks and uh now we see it in all of its splendor and glory and you you really it, basically it's the next sort of um clue into the greater aesthetic going on at the mm-hmm. on discovery island right right yeah i mean it's again it's a little bit less bright a little bit more earth tones uh, i like it though i mean it's Kind of like a yellowish, sandish color. Yeah, is that a fair description? Sure. I like I like the cheetahs that they have on the uh, yeah. on one one wall there. It's, it it doesn't look bad. No, I think it, I think it looks okay. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, Mike. Where I I, I was I'm a big fan of the Caribbean and an island look of the old Discovery Island. I'm a big fan of that, even in places where it belong, places where it came from rather than in the animal kingdom. Um, I think this is a little, is beautiful. I mean, they've done a great job on it and the, the facelift is really nice. And perhaps if, if I didn't uh, have the old one to compare with, I probably wouldn't even think to criticize it. So, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, it's it looks nice enough to me. Um, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, and they've they've done fine. I'm not a big fan ass- of the change of the aesthetic, but I'm not going to cry over it. I would assume the inside is the same. I'm, I'm sure. They I haven't seen that. any inside pictures yet. That, that makes leads me to believe that it is the same. Um, and the, the menu only slightly changed, Dave. Just as a uh, side note, I mean, there's did they, they put pizza a, on it? Well, they had a vegetarian pizza. Now they have a Mediterranean pizza, which is vegetarian. Oh, well, but, that's but slightly different. Okay, there's olives, feta cheese, that kind of stuff on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of a new color and new aesthetics, mm-hmm. um, the Orlando Park News, who we we tend to go to quite a bit, especially during these big projects, these big construction projects, because they love to take pictures from over walls. Um, has put another set of photos up this week. They do it almost weekly. Um, and this week we have, uh, well, last week we discussed with you the possibility of the new 
store going in next to Creature Comforts being called the Riverside Depot. We weren't quite sure. Next, the, to, next to Disney Outfitters. I'm sorry, next to Disney Outfitters. We That's weren't okay. quite sure whether or not that, that name was going to stick. Uh, well, it, it absolutely is going to stick now because now a new sign has come mm-hmm. up. And it's not just a, a painting on the side of a building, which, you know, there's paintings on the sides of these buildings all throughout the Animal Kingdom that aren't necessarily the names of the buildings. But this is obviously the name of the building. We also see um, the sort of, I, I guess we call it sort of a watchtower mm-hmm. um, look to it. And uh, Mike, from the outside, I mean, this looks stunning. I mean, this yeah, looks, good. looks beautiful. Yeah, it looks absolutely good. It's it's going to be a, it's a store attached to Disney Outfitters. Again, clearly the name of at least that section is going to be Riverside Depot. I guess you still have the yeah. possibility that they'll take down the Disney Outfitter sign on the other side of the entrance and put up a Riverside Depot sign there too and just make the whole thing. I, I don't know, but clearly at least the, the Riverside Depot is going to be the name of a store over there. Yeah, I'm really I'm really impressed with the with the beauty of the building, but I also like the name and I think we mentioned that last mm-hmm. week as well. Um, it's certainly better than Disney Outfitters. <laughs> a little bit a little bit more pizzazz. Yeah, so, yeah, it's kind bit, of a cool yeah. name and it, it kind of fits And it sits along the river. Exactly. So I mean it really really works well. I like it a lot. Uh, speaking of of this report and we have a couple of other reports here to name towards this. Um, we also can go to Orlando Park Pass though that is spelled O-R-L-P-A-R-K-P-A-S-S dot com if you want to go to it. Orlando Park Pass. Um, they did some overhead helicopter angle shots of mm-hmm. the new Avatar land. And also um, the Orlando Theme Park News also gave us some shots from near the construction walls. And... We got a lot of pictures here, and we're really seeing some scope now is pretty much how I would say this. And it looks huge. I mean, it, uh-huh. this is a big, big area. Very impressive, wouldn't you say? Oh, it's huge. I mean, we sort of knew that. And they're putting in, yeah. you can see they're putting in the floating mountains. Um, you know, the, the, the rock work looks great with the, the foliage on it and stuff. So it looks fantastic. Now, they are putting up... Well, there's a show building that's obviously already there. Mm-hmm. And this is for the e-ticket ride, and that's obviously the thing that's going to take the longest to perfect and create. Um, they are putting up the framework, the skeleton of the landscape that's going to hide that that building. Right. And that framework and that landscape alone is just incredibly expansive. And then during the time of both these pictures are being taken, you're seeing these floating mountains being lowered by a crane onto some sort of, I mean, they can't float, so they got to be onto some sort of foundation in some way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a forced perspective, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, and the other thing we see, Mike, I think it's kind of cool out of it is um, we're getting an idea of the track. We're seeing pictures of what we think is the track for the... Um, Mm-hmm. water ride coming in and it's perspective it looks like it's going to be directly across from the e-ticket ride this looks right. at, i mean that's kind of what i'm getting out of this but it looks like the show building is for this um thing is going to be directly across and i don't see any sort of it really could be one big show building when it's all said yeah done, it does look ahead. like it's one year that's what i was just going to say i don't see any kind of separation between the two so mm-hmm. i think we're getting one big 
enclosed show building that both of these attractions are going to take place in. Um, you see a little bit of separation between a smaller building and a bigger building. It's hard for me to tell which one is which from the pictures that they give you. I guess the um, the you see what I'm talking about there, Mike. It mm-hmm. looks like there's a smaller. They're attached, right. but maybe a slightly, maybe a couple of floors shorter. Um, that must be the the River Cruise building. Probably. It's hard to say though. It's hard to say from the pictures. But just kind of deducing here, that seems to be what we're getting. And that doesn't seem to have a whole lot covering it. Um, yet. Not yet, yeah. I, I wonder how that's going to work. I wonder if you're going to walk through this maze of of uh, landscape to both areas. I guess it seems like there's a path that's going to be leading in two different directions here. Uh, but there's a lot yet to go. I mean, there's a lot of foundations still just, mm-hmm. you know, just stone and ground. Um, there's a there's two or three pretty large looking foundations still there. I mean, certainly not the size of a show building, but uh, obviously that's going to be gift shops or something to that effect. Um, yeah. But there's a few of them right in eye shots, and and the way they're laid out, and you see the layout of other things. I mean, this is there's a lot yet to come here, mm-hmm. but I guess the big stuff is going in pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're getting there. I mean, it's certainly pretty impressive. Just even at at this point in time, it's impressive. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. Now, Mike, let's yeah. let's uh, do this last one. This this last sort of good news one here. Um, you reported last week that we have hyenas. Yeah, they're on. They're on the. Uh, they, uh, as of last week, they still had not taken down the sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? The fencing around the area, so the the, the viewing of it was kind of obscured. But the hyenas are in their exhibit. On Kilimanjaro safaris, and if you are on, you go on the ride, you should be able to see them. Yeah, assuming I, they're out. I mean, uh, there have been reports that they're not out all the time. They're right. sort of getting used to the to the uh, exhibit and used to the safari trucks. But you know, pretty soon they'll be out consistently. Now, this is usually the case with new animals. I mean, you yeah, have to kind of get lucky in the beginning to see them, and then in in, in the not too distant future, we'll have a Disney Parks blog. Uh, <laughs> story about them and then voila there they'll be <laughs> well they already had a parks blog story about no them. they'll have one that says they're out and, and and you could see them at any time now and all that kind of stuff uh they had the parks blog out there but uh you know obviously they're still not out in, in their you know full time yet if they'll ever be i mean we, we don't know about what the future holds for their participation here and mike can you explain where do you know where they are uh, in relation to the the, the track itself, the yes. entire ride, I'm not entirely sure. There's somewhere, I believe, before you get to the elephants, I believe. Okay, like over in that area, I think. Okay, yeah. So we still don't know that yet. Um, speaking of elephants, mm-hmm. this is the, probably the the story that made the rounds in most news outlets regarding Disney's Animal Kingdom. And it's not really a Disney's Animal Kingdom story, though it does have. A lot of uh, connection to the park. Um, the National Elephant Center, um, which we've discussed this place before, um, it's losing its last two elephants. Um, we talked about this place in the past. Basically, here's the deal. The center, which is in Florida, um, was, is described as a, quote, 225-acre home for elephants providing short-term and long-term care for North American elephants in support of accredited zoo populations and the welfare of elephants in need. Disney World and as well as other zoos helped found this place. Um, and basically, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, it was put as a place for mostly male elephants who don't quite fit into their herds for whatever right. reason. 
right? <clears throat> yeah, it's difficult to keep. I mean, we've talked about some of this stuff before. There's, you know, you'll ship mails and stuff to different parks so that the, the gene pool is, you know, as strong as possible. So the, the SSP program will ship right. them around. And sometimes, you know, the males, you know, they might not be getting along with the females there and they there's no other space to put them. And keeping male elephants is extraordinarily hard and expensive and dangerous even to right. to keepers. So it's a they're difficult to shift around, uh, really. So this was sort of a, all right, they're not, you know, th- this guy's not really fitting in anywhere. We can't find a space for him. He'll go to this facility that will take care of him. Now, three of the five elephants that were sent there, I believe in about 2013 or 2014, have all died. Right. Um, including two that came from the animal kingdom. And Disney themselves came under kind of sort of heavy pressure from animal rights groups. When the first male died, he died of a salmonella infection. But then it really kind of blew up when they sent a female who was pregnant there. And her, the, 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 I guess the calf died, and then she died not long after that. Um, so Disney kind of – that put some – one of these uh, watchdog groups put Disney on the list of the 10 worst places in mm-hmm. – 10 worst zoos in America basically only because of this one incident. Um, the Animal Kingdom is going to get one of the two remaining elephants back, while the other one's going to go to the Nashville Zoo. This essentially ends or empties the National Elephant Center. I don't know if it ends their future, um, no idea. but it was a very strange um, short history to this place. It seemed like a place with a good intention, but maybe... Maybe there were, you know, it seemed like an, how do I say this? It seemed like an experimental type of idea, and maybe that's gone wrong, and they learned the hard way. I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, it seems like a lot of bad luck, but it's hard to figure out here. And bad press, too. A lot of bad press, but a lot of bad luck. I mean, a salmonella infection? I mean, that's not something that's caused by the place. That could happen anywhere. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah? Okay. Sure. Not, Not appropriately cleaning their food? Oh, well, there you go. Doing a bad job of that? I mean, that's possible. I'm not saying that that's what it was, but that's possible. I mean, you just want to avoid any type of... I mean, we talk about blackfish all the time and how SeaWorld right. is just basically falling apart. Um, you know, with the whole thing with California and all, you know, they're not allowed to breed them anymore, all that kind of stuff. You don't want that kind of stuff. God forbid they do a, uh expose on the Elephant Center and right. land-based Disney. It's just press you don't need. Um, yeah, it's bad press, bad luck, bad a lot of things. Now, Mike, when when this has been making the rounds, this story, mm-hmm. um, and again, Disney's Disney's involvement here, from what I can tell, now there's a lot of there's a lot of holes in this story. Right. There's a lot of information that doesn't get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say what how much influence disney had in even um 
you know, the setup of this place. I mean, they founded it. I mean, they didn't found it in the sense of, you know, they decided, let's do this. A bunch of zoos got together. Right. It was probably an idea pitched to a bunch of zoos from somebody to do it. Um, you know, and it seemed like a good idea. We, uh, obviously, there is a need for this. Um, mm-hmm. But so we don't really know if we can criticize anyone at the Animal Kingdom themselves for these deaths or for what happened here or for the lack of care. Well, probably not. But. I, but there may be some I mean, there is some sort of tangential blame in that, you know, once you send the elephants there and you're involved in, in creating such a thing or or your name is attached to the creation of such a thing, you probably should do some diligence in making sure it's being run properly. Yeah, I mean, um, that could be the only fault of, the, of theirs is yeah. maybe not doing their due diligence on it. The other fault they have is, you know, the, the, the other part of the story that comes out that doesn't sound all that great is some of these animals, I mean, they move three of three of their elephants there and part of it is species survival plan and the other part and this has been in every story is to make room for other animals um that just seems like a bad line <laughs> for for anyone to put in there and just doesn't i, I just wouldn't say that i mean I, it, it, it's just a bad thing to say i mean <laughs> I guess, but I mean, what the problem you run into for a zoo is that there's only so much room for an elephant, especially for something like an elephant, yeah. where it's very expensive and there's very specific guidelines into right. what kind of space and what kind of place you can have. So let's say, just pretend for a moment that the Animal Kingdom has room for eight elephants. I know it's probably it's more than that because I think they have they have more than that, but I'm just you picked a number, right. and they have eight elephants, and now you know. They have two males and six females, and the males, you know, have bred with the females already, and they need to get another female in to fix the gene, you know, to, mm-hmm, to help mm-hmm. with the gene pool. Mm-hmm. But they only have certain room for the eight. They have to move another elephant, so they have to make room for other animals. Right. Um, and it's part of the program, and it's to help the gene pool of the elephants. It's not, you know, it's not because Disney says to themselves, you know, let's get a, uh, you know, this beautiful elephant that will really, you know, the public will really yeah. like, and we can get rid of this old one. That's that's not necessarily what we're talking about. So, I mean, it's a difficult proposition. It is, and Mike, the 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 criticism that also is going to come out, and and I've read quite a bit of this already, is the knee jerk reaction, and and I don't know if it's uh, if if that's the right word for it, but the reaction of well, we shouldn't be keeping elephants in captivity to begin with um, because of the difficulty that they present in captivity uh, and the stress level that seems to come in to elephants during captivity. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I mean, elephants um, are the one of the most expensive animals to keep. They are, uh, and we may have touched on this before, they are by far the most dangerous animal to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, more keepers die at the hands of elephants than any other animal. Um, and that's because they're just so huge. And the keepers, unlike, for example, grizzly bears, where keepers don't go in, for obvious reasons, into the uh, exhibit with them, right. there's a lot of hands-on that has to be done with the elephants, with their feet, with their teeth, with their ears. They need um, to be constantly checked. And there is a very strong relationship between the keepers and the elephants and elephants are temperamental they are they are very smart they're very you know they're you know they 
you know, they're very social with other animals. And even just be being, you know, a, a little angry at a keeper and just nudging him could kill a keeper because, you know, a, a nudge from an elephant is, you know, f- sends a keeper across the room. Right. Um, but yeah, they're so social. They're, they, they, they are, I don't know if high strung is the right word for it, but, you know, just because they need require so much hands on, you know, they, they're, they're particularly with their feet, which you got to keep uh, close tabs on. Um, in the wild, with all the walking around stuff, they, you know, they're generally okay. And, and the teeth is another big one. Um, you know, many elephants die from starvation in the wild because that you know they only have a certain number of teeth, and when they go, they don't have any more. Um, and that is a common reason to uh, for elephants in the wild to die. And the, you know, obviously, the keepers want to prevent that. They want the elephants to be as happy and healthy and for as long as possible. So you know, all of this kind of stuff makes it, keeping an elephant very, very difficult. Um, I, I don't know if that answered your question, Dave. Or no, not. it does. Uh, I mean, I, I, obviously, there is a uh, you know, there is a benefit to having animals in zoos. Uh, I, I obviously feel that way. I know that there are a lot of folks out there who don't. Um, and but I obviously do, or else I wouldn't be doing this show. Uh, and I I know the long term uh, benefits of that for the species themselves. Um, and and I just you know I just wanted to to cover all the bases as we possibly could. So the National Elephant Center is in limbo as we speak. And mm-hmm. uh, the last thing I want to mention, Mike, is something that you put on the um, on the website for those who have not gotten the leopard in the land. Now, for those who don't know what that is quickly review that is a uh, documentary of Joe Rody essentially on mm-hmm. on his trip to uh, to Mongolia to Mongolia yeah no I mean what, what I was going to raise funds I guess we'd call it oh, I mean absolutely. he went there to paint for the purpose of selling the paintings of the area, so he was painting landscapes of Mongolia and he was going to sell those paintings and did so to help the Snow Leopard Conservancy, uh, who are the people who sponsored the, the creation of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it is basically a documentary about Joe Rody traveling. Let's, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's really a travelogue of Mongolia. And yeah. Seeing the landscape and the people and sort of what's right. going on there. It's a beautiful film. And it is now available on Amazon. So go to Amazon.com, put in The Leopard in the Land, and you'll find it. It makes a great gift for any Disney fans. Um, and I'm, we're, we're, you know, the Snow Leopard Conservancy is an, a great organization um, that could really use our help. If you go back to episode 51, um, we discussed that quite a bit with a couple of people. Episode 51 of Radio Harambe, we discussed the, uh, the, the film and the work the Snow Leopard Conservancy does with Dr. Roddy Jackson and Dr. Quentin Martins, who are from the Snow Leopard Conservancy. And then I think if you go through, you'll find one where Mike and I do a a pretty lengthy review of the um, of the film itself. I'm right. That was fi- like episode 55 or something. Yeah, I'm trying to find that one, and I can't. I, yes, <laughs> it is, because I didn't put it in the name. It was when you went to go actually meet Joe Rohde at yeah, uh, <laughs> the Washington, D.C., the Environmental Film Festival. Yep. I did a blog post where you can find links to... Uh, the Amazon directly to the Good. purchasing leopard land. Although apparently it's out of stock currently, they sold so many that they had to. It's awesome. But they, you know they'll get it back. You yeah. go on there, you click on it, and you'll just be delayed a week or so. Absolutely. So you want to jump right into the world news? You ready? Sure. Let's do it. 
All right, Dave. Today we are going, well, mostly to a galaxy far, far away. So oh, I love that place. Right off on there. Star Wars Launch Bay. I always want to say Launch Bay, but it's not. It's Launch Bay. <laughs> will be the headquarters for Star Wars at Disney Hollywood Studios, and it is opening December 1st. So very shortly, only a couple of weeks away. Uh, it's located in the Magic of Disney Animation Building, or the former Magic of Animation Building. And um, we got some of the details of it now. Uh, the outdoor okay. queue, it's going to start with the outdoor queue from the former, former animation building. It's going to be lined with concept art from the Star Wars saga. Inside, you'll have meet and greets, behind-the-scenes interviews, galleries of memorabilia, Star Wars artifacts, interactive video games, and, of course, special Star Wars merchandise. Here are some of the uh, areas you'll be able to go to. Cool. There's the special character encounters. You'll be able to meet Darth Vader in sort of a uh, immersive Star Destroyer set. You'll be able to meet Chewbacca. That, uh, can, a, I, can I just stop and say that may be my first meet and greet? Okay. That would be That's cool. a good one. That would That's be cool. It, yeah, basically, you, you enter this area, and you can either go to the dark side, which you'll go into a Star Destroyer and meet Darth Vader. Fabulous. Or the light side, you go into a Rebel base and meet Chewbacca. There is the Launch Bay Theater, which will have videos showing brief interviews with some of the people behind making Star Wars, whether that's uh, writers, producers, and whatnot. They're going to have something called the Cantina. I mean, we all know what that is from Star Wars. Oh, yeah. It's basically just an area where you could take photos. They have sort of a replica of the Cantina. You can sit at a uh, hologram chess table and pretend like you're you know, part of that scene in the movie, all that kind of stuff. Nice. There's the Star Wars Game Center, where guests can play current and upcoming video games, including Disney Infinity 3.0, which is going to have a lot of Star Wars stuff with it. Yeah. Uh, hmm. yeah. Theme galleries, which will have special immersive galleries located throughout the area. The Celebration Gallery will feature iconic ships found throughout the Star Wars saga. The Celebration Hallway. Wait, will have, what's that? It is the Celebration Gallery will feature right. iconic ships from throughout Star Wars saga, such as memorable ones from the Rebel Alliance and the Imperial Navy fleet. It's going to be you know models of these models. I would be about not paintings, so. a model. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, that's fabulous. Okay, Celebration cool. Hallway will feature. Large scale replicas. When of is this Star opening? Wars. When is this opening? December first. Weren't you listening? We'll be there. I'm going to be there. Well, is it going to be open when we go? It'll be. Is it? Uh, is this going to be on forever, or is this temporary? Oh, well, this is on for at least for the next few years. Oh, I mean, this is going to be here for. I may actually have to go. <laughs> to I'm not done yet. Hollywood. Star. Okay, keep going. I mean, you're only halfway through, and I'm already no, booked I'm up to go. All right. Celebration hallway will feature large scale replicas of Star Wars props amid scenic murals. <sighs> The preview gallery will offer guests exclusive looks at replicas of props, artifacts, and memorabilia from the latest movie in the saga, and will also feature costumes, ship models, droids, and artwork. And finally, there's the Launch Bay Cargo, which will have uh, you know various types of merchandise, including original artwork and expensive collector's items. Wonderful. You excited, Dave? I am. You know I love Star Wars stuff. This is going to be great. I mean, what, I, I, what an, go ahead. You want another Star Wars story? Or yes. No, go. Ramble on about this for a while. No, I love this. <laughs> I'm, I can ramble on about it all the time. You know that. I'm very excited about it. Also I'm, opening in early December 2015 is mm-hmm. the new Jedi Training Academy, which will be called Jedi Training Trials of the Temple. 
Man, see, I don't care about this because I can't do this. Well, yes, but little Colin will be able to do it in a couple of years. Yeah, well, in a couple of years, I'll be excited. <laughs> Probably gone it's by go- then. It's going to have, uh, they're redoing the stage. So it's going to look more like an ancient temple instead of the current look of it. And they're also going to always have a second Sith, which is somebody from the new Star Wars Rebels show called the Seventh Sister. I have no idea who that is. I don't either. But apparently it's a bad guy from that show, which is pretty popular. So you'll be able to. That's uh, the that's the, the, the Disney XD. Correct. So, yeah. Correct. Okay. Which is on its second season. Correct. Dave, okay. I'm going to give you one more Star Wars story. And this one is a bit of a doozy. Oh, I love doozies. As as we talked about before on this mm-hmm. on this show, Star Wars: The Adventure Continues, which is Star excuse me, Star Tours: The Adventure Continues, is going to have scenes from the new Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Well, that is now in soft openings. There is, uh, as you, as many of our listeners know, you had before this started, you had fifty four different possible ride combinations. With the opening scene, the, it, it, there's four different scenes, and you had different randomly chosen uh, possibilities. Well, for the next couple of months, when you start, there are going to now be three different opening sequences where they say they want the Rebel. There's a new one with Darth Vader and Boba Fett that goes along with the two that you had pr- prior to that. Right. Then you get to the sort of the first scene where you're really flying through and following something. You know right. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, for the next couple of months, that's always going to be the same scene there, and that's going to be the new one, which features um, the uh, scenes from the desert planet. I don't know how to pronounce this. Jakku, J A K K U. Jakku, yeah, yeah, you got it. All right. Okay. So I think it, you know what it is, but for the listeners yeah. who don't know, if you've seen the trailer. They sometimes show this desert planet that has uh-huh. a lot of wreckage from of Star Destroyers and stuff. Right. Well, you'll be on that. You'll be flying behind the Millennium Falcon as he's biting, battling TIE fighters and whatnot. And actually, Finn, who is uh, John Boyega character, um, he'll come on the screen and do the whole Star Tours, what are you doing here bit um, during that scene. Now- then, then you have the third scene, which is... Where before you'd either have Princess Leia, Admiral Akbar, or uh, Yoda, um, that comes on and you know tells you you need to get the Rebel spy or whatever. Well, now they're going to have one with the new droid BB-8, and I actually have the transcript from this. I could give you a spoiler and read the whole entire transcript of what BB-8 says and what C-3PO says, I should say, uh, or I could give this keep the spoiler free. Spoilers, spoilers. You got it. Turn okay. away if you don't want it. Say it. So BB-8 comes on the screen. CP- C-3PO says a transmission. BB-8, what are you doing here? Then BB-8, for people who don't know, he speaks like R2-D2. You don't know what he's saying. It's droid speak. Okay. C-3PO then says, mission, what mission? BB-8 then says something else. C-3PO then says, he says he has vital information to deliver and needs our help. BB-8 says something. C-3PO then says, but we're not, go- we're not going on any mission. It's bound to be dangerous. Then R2-D2 speaks. Oh, then right. C-3PO says, R2, we are not going. Then BB-8 speaks. And then C-3PO says, good luck. Wait, wait, where are we going? And bam, off you go to the fourth scene, which is still one of those three, like Naboo or, or whatnot. Although apparently they have done t- some subtle changes to all of these ending scenes 
And those are randomly selected now. So there could be over a thousand possible ride uh, ride uh, combos. For example, instead of, you know, the Naboo scene where you kind of end up and the, the ship comes and breaks through your glass? Uh-huh. Well, sometimes it doesn't break through your glass. Paint splatters on it. And, okay. you know, you, you, get pushed, you get surprised by, like, little subtle changes like that. So, Dave, that is what's going on now at Star Tours. So, do you want to know what Jakku is? Well, it's a planet. It's a desert planet. But are you interested in what its importance is? Uh, well, you, obviously, you know a lot more about this movie. I than do. I do. I do. Okay. Uh, and this is this is in in a few of the. Um, Go for it. There is a lot of sort of they they call canon. I hate to use that word, but th- there's a lot of things that have come out that are canon that are sort of you know filling in the blanks between the Battle of Endor, mm-hmm. right, and then where we pick up now in the next film. And there's a lot of books and there's comic books and there's things like that. And uh, the the Jakku is a planet that is known for being, I'm really geeking out here, Michael, called the Battle of Jakku. And it is probably, it's, it is a, it's supposed to have taken place a year after Endor and is probably the biggest battle between the rebels, which go by a new name, which I think is the New Republic, Mm-hmm. Um, and then and the remnants of the empire, okay. and that's why you see all of those destroyed star destroyers on the on the surface of the planet, and all those old because that was the 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 location of this giant battle that takes place. So I'm telling you all this because Jakku is going to play a major role in the next film. Well, that's obvious. And, I mean, most of the trailers have taken place on right, obviously on but, this desert planet. Yeah. But not only a major role in the next film, a major role in the entire scope of this story from this mm-hmm. point on is basically what I'm what I'm okay. saying. So it's it, Mike. I'm so excited about this movie. Yeah, it looks good. I mean, uh, we don't know yet, but I'm excited for it too. Uh, and and I, I keep trying to remind myself: no Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> There's no Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> no, there's BB-8. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I'll tell you this. I, this the the Star Trek reboot that J.J. Abrams did, mm-hmm. um, it was good. It was I'm not great, but I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. I, I thought, thought I it was it a lot. Yeah, yes. I thought it was good, but it also gives me a lot of sort of. Uh, I feel good about what we're getting from him mm-hmm. with with that film in mind because I think he's I think he knows what to do here. I really do. And 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 I just can't wait for this. But anyway, I don't want to turn this into a Star Wars podcast, which right. I can well, easily I, I, do. So I think he'll keep the silliness to a minimum, I think. That's the and that isn't that everything though, Mike? I mean that that's yeah, that'll, that'll, that's that'll, 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 yeah. I mean the the the, the first the Phantom Menace had that stupid pod racing scene with the yeah. Radio announcer, and yeah, it was just awful. Jar Jar Binks, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. I always I tell this to people all the time. I, the Phantom Menace, I was well, two way, two thirds of the way through it, and I was so disappointed by it. Mm-hmm. I'm there at midnight, 
watching this film. I'm completely disappointed by it. I remember looking at my friend who I was there with and saying, right as the right as Darth Maul comes out from behind, you know, when the the, the door is open and there's Darth Maul and right. Liam Neeson, and I said to him, "This lightsaber scene better be great, or this movie is a complete bust." And it and that scene did save it. Uh, for, yeah, it was a fantastic lightsaber, but it, I, obviously, yeah, yeah. I mean that that really helped. Um, but you just yeah, it was so it was so depressingly bad. And then the second one was just dreadful. I mean. Mike, when Yoda starts bouncing around, I mean, I, I almost left the film. <laughs> I almost left the movie theater. I was so disgusted by it. I mean, the third, the third one was not too bad. The third one was okay. I mean, that kind of restored a little bit of the faith, but boy, he was really testing you up, up until that point. That's for sure. That's for <laughs> well, sure. Well, this should be better. So. I would, I would think so. Uh, and and the other stuff they have involved uh, coming in the Rogue Squadron and and uh, I mean, yeah, that, it's, I, yeah, I it's mean, very it's, exciting stuff. It yes, really is. Absolutely, absolutely. It really is. Anyway. Ready for the next story? Yeah. Dave, this is one – this is actually breaking news. It's only happened within the last couple of hours. I don't even know if you've heard about this yet. We don't have enough – we don't have much news on it yet, but there has been another monorail accident. Ooh, I did read a little bit of this. Yeah. it's Nobody was hurt. It was um, – they were testing something, and there was no passengers on board. It was monorail coral, I believe. It was being towed, and the, the something broke, and it, the monorail actually crashed into the tow vehicle. Um, I don't know if this is going to take monorail coral off exhibit off uh, line for a while because it looked pretty beat up, at least the front of it. Yeah, um, it was smashed in a little bit. You know, window pane broke, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, it's the monorail service. It's has been down for most of today, uh, but just another issue with the monorail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it doesn't sound like too big a deal. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean there was there there have been worse. <laughs> yeah, there, like I said, there was nobody's trapped on it. Nobody got hurt. It there was, was no you know, fire. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. So, Dave, uh, one other story here. Disney has announced um, that Captain EO will have its final performance on December six, two thousand fifteen, to make way for a new experience. <laughs> and the new experience is Disney and Pixar short. Film Festival. It will let guests experience some fan favorite animated shorts in 3D, complete with in theater effects. Disney and Pixar Short Film Festival will include a look into the visionary minds behind some of the world's most iconic animated films today. Then, inside the theater, guests can put on their 3D glasses and enter the imaginative world of three animated shorts, which will burst to life on the big screen like never before. I I don't know how you feel about this, Dave. I'm not that big of a fan. I mean, this is stuff I can watch on Netflix. They just released the uh, Pixar Disney animated shorts on Netflix. I'm assuming much of this, and, and by the way, that film that you can watch or that documentary that you can watch or whatever you want to call it on Netflix has a lot of like the people behind the, the, the show, um, the behind the movies, talking to you about some of the things. I have a feeling... This is just a patchwork from Netflix being thrown in as an attraction now at uh, at uh, Epcot Center. What are your thoughts? Well, you, you, I, we've talked about this before going on air, and you you said the same thing to me, and and mm-hmm. and, and I, I I don't disagree. But it's just one of those things where you know the the films are quality, so that we we know that, um, so that's good. Uh, I don't think as many people have seen this these films as you think. Um, but but n- neither here nor there. It really comes down to what these in theater effects are. Mm-hmm. I mean, any film 
can be made better by something with that in that regard. So while it won't be a fascinating new thing, um, I, I, I'm going to reserve. I, I don't on spec. I'm just just on 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 description. I don't. I'm not in love with the idea because it seems like a little bit of a cop out. It's not future world to me. It's not Future World, but Future World's gone, and let's be mm. honest. Um, so I I don't love it, but it has the ability to be entertaining because the films are good, and, and they're good at this in-theater in kind of stuff. Yeah, and, I, you and know? to be honest, I was so over Captain EO, I mean, I can't. I can't tell you how over Captain EO I was. I mean, I stopped ever going in there anymore. Oh, I never liked it. So, I mean, I liked it back in 1988 no, when me. it first... No, I did. But, I mean, when it first came out, I thought it was great. But, I mean, if you're telling me this is a temporary gap filler until they do something good with imagination, then I'm fine with it. If they are planning on permanently keeping the Disney and Pixar short film festival here, I'm not a big fan. I understand. I understand what you're saying, and 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 I think you're correct about that. But let's let's wait and see because I mean it doesn't it doesn't belong. It sounds like something that would go great in a park about Hollywood Studios, but yeah. Um, but I mean, we, we could see what's happening, right? I mean, look look what happened to the Hollywood Studios after it lost its direction, and that's what's happening in the future world now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be the next place that's going to need to be blown up, and and redone with a new idea and i mean it's only you know so we have to go through a few years of this kind of nonsense until we get you know whatever it's going to end up being down the road Mm -hmm. and that's the depressing part so and there are a lot of people out there who are not too thrilled with that idea (laughs) yeah i know i know Epcot has its uh, its its following for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, Epcot is much like Disneyland. There's like some real hardcore, yeah. yeah, you know, lovers of the place. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. I was one of those too until they started yeah, messing around with it for sure. So I know. Cool. So uh, is that it, Dave? It's time to play America's favorite game. Oh no! Okay. Yes. All right, Dave. It's, Everybody, we're loves getting this close. Game. To New Year's Eve. In fact, this was one that was supplied to me by, by a listener, Kevin Cross. Awesome, go, Kevin. Although, although I had already seen it, so it, I, but he did he did DM me anyway. Dave, Kevin, you could just put it straight up on Twitter. I don't read it. I have no idea. <laughs> Dave, it's time to celebrate New Year's Eve. All right, and we're going to do it with fireworks at the California Grill. Okay. Welcome the arrival of 2016 with a delicious feast. As you thrill to a spectacular view of fireworks, this elegant gala is a dine-around style. Oh, event. this is a fortune! <laughs> Hold on, dine-around style event with food stations set up throughout the restaurant, so it's a buffet. There is a complimentary Cole brand bar is available wow. in addition to wine poured by the glass up until midnight. First seating and only seating is at 8 p.m., so you're there from 8 to midnight. Wow, okay. This There'll be lots of entertainment, including appearances by some of your favorite characters like Mickey, Minnie, really? Donald, and Baby New Year. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> some of the details are, as I said, there's only one seating, 8 p.m., so it's from 8 to 12. Uh, you know, lots of food, free alcohol. Well, not free, but it's included in the price. 
A dinner jacket is required for men, and a dress or pants ensemble is required for women. Really? Dave, guess how much Okay, costs. so let me review. You know I like to review before I make this guess, yes, and I, I, always, I always like to jot these things down as we're talking. Oh, because oh you jot them? I, I, I do, because I then do a, like a little thing. So, so you get – there's – you get a, 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 a is it a buffet or is it's it, a buffet? It's a buffet. Okay, so there are food stations located throughout the restaurant. Okay, so it's not like a like a ten course meal or something. Nope. like It's not okay. Uh, food stations throughout the restaurant and the bar is included. Mm-hmm. And you get Mickey Mouse, and you're there for the entire day. The the one seating is eight p.m. They stop serving at midnight, or I'm assuming. Maybe a few moments after midnight. Now, did you say that... Was there any information about the bar? It just says... A complimentary bar. A complimentary coal brand bar, whatever that means, is available in addition to wine poured by the glass up until midnight. Wine poured by the glass. Wow. I'm assuming there's bands playing too. They don't like make it, that. They're uh, just uh, entertainment, just, including characters. Okay. See, that there's a big difference. There's, there's a. I'm going to have to. I mean, I was going to say $300, but I'm going to have to go up because um, a call bar, you, you don't know what that means. A call bar means that you're getting um, top shelf stuff. Is that what that's saying? As okay. opposed to a well. Stuff that's in the well, which means when you're when you're at the bar, uh, they have the I well underneath that. you, and the well is the like you know like the yes, off brand yes, yes, stuff. Yes, yes. Call bar means you're going to get like Grey Goose and things like that. Okay, so that so makes top shelf hu- top shelf. That could be a huge difference. So if we're talking about call brands in Scotch and things like that, I mean you're talking about twenty so bucks talking, a glass, forty bucks a glass. We're not talking Bud Light and Night Train. Night Train. <laughs> 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 No boons. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> and the whole, I'm going to have to go with $500. I mean, I, and I think I'm going, I think I'm lowballing. Five, um, 540 $49. dave the cost is $625 per person. That includes tax and gratuity. Yeah, it had to be that because there's only so many seats and they're giving up the whole restaurant for the whole night. <laughs> You know, I mean, and there's only so many seats to have. I mean, that's that is uh, that that was going to be pricey. I mean, I I think that's a little bit more than it needs to be. I think five hundred and forty nine dollars is a little bit more than it needs to be. I think th- things like this could go for three hundred easy. But you know what Disney charges for drinks, man, and just start just start knocking zeros next to it when you start when you're talking about call drinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's just going to be. I mean, they're going to have a lot of drunks coming out of that place, Mike. A lot of drunks. Oh, well, I mean, if you're going to pay six hundred twenty-five dollars, you want to get your money's worth. <laughs> I have a lot of drunks. <laughs> I might be sneaking Grey Goose bottles in my uh, dinner jacket. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's it. That's it. All right. So let's take a break, and when we come back, it's time for another Animal Kingdom throwdown. Stay tuned. Come on, gang. Let's take it home. <laughs> if you're like me. You're an Animal Kingdom fan who is just a bit tired of listening to so-called Disney experts who criticize our beloved park for being a, quote, half-day park. Well, it's time to put your frustrations into action. 
by going to the Jumbo Everyone store at Zazzle.com slash Jumbo Everyone and picking up one of our exclusive new Not a Half Day Park t-shirts. They look great. And we will donate 50% of the profits to our conservation partners. The rest of it will go to helping keep Radio Harambe on the air and JumboEveryone.com on the web. Wear it the next time you visit the parks, or even better, the next time you attend a Disney fan meetup. Go to Zazzle.com slash JumboEveryone today and wear your Animal Kingdom pride for all to see. Election and debate season has not ended, folks, and neither has our debate season here on Radio Harambe. And as we promised in our last show, we were going to have another debate. This time, the contestants have switched with the moderators, and we bring back our same two friends of the show. We have Scott from Dixie Landings Radio. Scott, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me back. And from the aptly named Por Favor podcast, we also have Gary. Gary, how are you? I'm all right. You guys said we were just taking a break, and it's like two weeks later. I've been sitting here in front of this computer. All right. Well, I guess I'm ready to go. So here is the debate. Uh, Last week, we debated Kidani, or last show. I never want to say week. Last show, we debated Kidani versus Riverside, Port Orleans Riverside. And today, Gary and I decided we were going to throw down with the stuff that really matters. The attractions. In fact, the mountains. And the contestants today are Expedition Everest and Splash Mountain. So Mike is going to act as moderator, which means the first thing he's going to do is toss a coin to decide which one of us goes first or second. And then Mike will decide the order of the questions. There's going to be four questions for each contestant. Mm -hmm. Each contestant's going to have an opening statement and a closing statement. And within the questions, each uh, person gets to answer the question. Then there will be a rebuttal and then a short chance to rebut the rebut. That's a lot of butting. Uh, (laughs) Insert laughter here uh so here is, so here is mike mike gary are you ready to call it yes all right go ahead and call it heads it is tails yes i want to i want to close my closing statement i want to go second so therefore i will go first in the opening statement is that correct or will he go yeah again? that's right yeah. okay no, that's right you're right all right shall i begin Sure, Dave. Why don't you go ahead and give us your opening remarks? Expedition Everest is, in my humble opinion, the second greatest achievement in Walt Disney Imagineering history. It is certainly the aesthetic crowning jewel for Walt Disney's history as well. Uh, It is the most ambitious project perhaps they've ever undertaken with a ride. Uh, It sets the standard for great theming, great research, uh, and the idea of transporting you to a far-off place. There really is nothing that does it better. There are a few things that do it maybe close to as well. Nothing that does it better than Expedition Everest. 
Splash Mountain, which my opponent will try to uh, tell you is better, is instead an attraction which should never have been made. However good it may be, it's an attraction that should never have been made. <laughs> Are you done? I am. <laughs> Gary, go ahead. Okay, well, thank you, moderators, respected moderators. Uh, nice. <laughs> Point one. <laughs> That's I almost feel like doing this whole thing in a southern accent, but I will spare you all the misfortune of that. I'm not here to disparage Expedition Everest. I'm here to extol the virtues of Splash Mountain, possibly the most complete attraction on any Disney park in the world. And as a matter of fact, it is in two different continents, Asia and North America. And for good reason, because it's just a classic Disney attraction, dare I say the classic Disney attraction. And there are pretty much no faults to it in my eyes. And I'm here to explain why I feel that way. And by the end of this episode, I think you'll all agree with me. All right. Now, uh, for the first question, we are going to go to um, Dave. Okay. Uh, Scott, you want me to ask the first one? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Dave, do you consider Expedition Everest more thrilling than Splash Mountain? And if so, why? Oh, no question it is. Um, it, it is. Uh, I think the scale of it is what makes it thrilling. Uh, it is the most... Uh, extreme to use a kind of a weird term of all of the roller coasters at Disney. Um, it also has incredible innovation with its ride system, which makes it, you know, the first time you ride it, it takes your breath away, uh, which is something that, you know, Splash Mountain just doesn't do. Um, Splash Mountain has its virtues, and it is something that I really do like. Um, I have my criticisms of it, but as far as thrilling goes, if we're going to compare thrill... The, the, the two just really don't compare. The drop, the speed, the power behind uh, Expedition Everest is just w way beyond that of Splash Mountain for sure. Gary, your rebuttal. I mean, you're asking a question of thrill, and that has nothing to do, in my opinion, with which ride is better. I mean, do you feel that Kilimanjaro Safaris is more thrilling than Expedition Everest? <laughs> I would assume not, but if, if I remember correctly, you said that's the greatest attraction ever built. So I think thrill doesn't really have much to do with the equation here. First slap at the moderators. <laughs> so so you concede that Everest is more thrilling than Splash Mountain? Without a doubt. I'll concede that any day. Okay. Let's go ahead, Scott. All right, Gary. First question to you. This is going to kind of go back to how the tables were turned on the last episode. <laughs> How do you defend a ride whose source material is frankly racist? The question is, is it frankly racist? I, I mean, you say it's racist as it's it's been determined somewhere up on high that the Song of the South is this bastion of, to racism, whereas I can understand the controversy and I can totally understand where Disney doesn't feel it's worth their while to defend pretty much a movie that no one would call a classic if it weren't for its its controversy. 
So the fact that they built an attraction around that, I don't think it has anything to do with the movie as it does with the characters of Br'er Fox, Br'er Bear, Br'er Rabbit, and and uh, the the likes of those. So you could you could say it's a racist movie, um, but I would also say how many of the people who get in line for it have actually seen the movie, and myself included, I have not seen Song of the South, and it doesn't hinder my enjoyment of the ride, as you can obviously tell. I Dave, think, your rebuttal. I think if Gary saw the movie, he would agree with me that um, this was an attraction that shouldn't have been made. Um, it picks at a scab of a wound that um, y- even Disney themselves just simply do not want to open up. Um, they don't want to discuss the film uh, whenever it gets brought up at meetings, which it gets brought up at shareholders meetings quite often. The answer is always the same. We will not be re-releasing that film. When the film was released, um, the NAACP, for instance, uh, talked about how it gives the wrong impression of this idyllic master slave relationship. That's a distortion of the facts. And it does do that. Um, now, does that mean that the, that the ride, the attraction itself does that? Of course not. But what it does do is it points to this film and pointing to this film is picking at a scab. And I think that this is one of the most controversial moments and maybe even one of the worst moments in Disney history, the release of this film. Whether you like the film or not or you like the music, it really it doesn't really matter. It's it's what it, it's what the company itself feels about it. And that's the reason why they've never re-released it and the reason why they never talk about even giving it the opportunity. Um, it's it, The two cannot be separated, in my opinion. They just can't. That's fine. However, you mentioned that the the executive secretary of the NAACP talked about at its release how it was racist. But in the same quote, which you conveniently <laughs> neglected, he said it's a remarkable... <laughs> artistic merit in its music and its combination of living actors and the cartoon technique. It regrets, however, that in an effort to neither offend audiences in the, in the North or the South, the production helps to perpetuate a dangerously glorified picture of slavery. So it gets to it, but it also does mention in the same breath that it is a masterpiece of artistry. And and, and, and I just want to say this one last thing. I know I'm not supposed to, but it, this was not the only criticism of the film at the time. There sir, were, sir. There you, were you, quite you, many sir. criticisms by the, by the media. Well. Safari Mike needs a film. <laughs> we're moving on. Okay. Uh, 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 my turn to ask a question. I'm going to ask Gary a question this time. Um, Gary, many point to the Yeti being broken as a, an issue for that attraction. Yet Splash Mountain has, over the years, had had numerous effects, like the Br'er Rabbit that follows you along, broken for expen- extended periods of time. Why should Splash Mountain get a pass on that and not Everest? I don't think it's gotten a pass on that, to be honest. I, I mean, I've heard many times that it needed some TLC, and they addressed that finally in the last year or so, and they refurbished it. And as as far as I know, when I was there in October, it seemed like everything was in perfect working order. I'm sure there might have been one of the over 100 audio animatronics that may have been not working properly. However, when you have 100% of your audio animatronics not working properly, then I think there is some uh, claim to criticism. It's, It's an attraction that's closed yearly. And despite the 
the Yeti, uh, the, 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 you know, having fun with the Yeti. Um, the attraction hasn't closed in, in, and, and to me hasn't lost its charm or its thrill in Expedition Everest. Uh, yes, it's a shame the Yeti doesn't work, but that doesn't take away from the incredible um, you know, scope of the ride beyond that. But however, when the doors are closed for a few weeks every year, that certainly does take away from the incredible whatever Splash Mountain may have. And, and, and Splash Mountain is a, is a, is a great ride. Um, it's a lot of fun. But if you're a person who likes to travel in the winter, uh, maybe when it's not very crowded, you're probably not going to ride it. Scott, you have, uh, or Gary, do you want to respond to that or should we just go to Scott? No, we can go move right along. (laughs) Go ahead, Scott. All right, Dave. Question to you. What attraction has the better queue and why should that matter? Oh, that's a softball, man! You just tossed that right down the strike zone for me because <laughs> the um, the the this the uh, the song of the South Ride, oh, Splash Mountain. I'm sorry, ha- um, does not have really a cue at all, in my opinion. I mean, it has a, a some nice theming in the last few feet of the cue, uh, but certainly not uh, one anywhere near with the research and the scope and the incredible artistry of the cue at um, Expedition Everest, which, quite honestly, in Disney Walt Disney World that queue may set the bar in how cues are to be made and how to uh, make them interesting make them part of the story the queue itself is part of the story of the surrounding area of the ride not just the ride itself it's part of the entire aesthetic the entire story of the ride um, so that's why it matters if you're a person who really does love imagineering um, and loves the idea of backstory and theme and research and all those things I mean there it all is on for display at, at, at Expedition Everest and just the queue All right, well, I guess this is my turn to (laughs) rebut to that. Um, Again, I'd like to say that I guess the the moderators have made up their mind ahead of time which which attraction they're going to give the questions to. However, I can't remember the last time I went through the queue on Expedition Everest because single rider line is there. I didn't notice any uh, Yeti scat in the single rider line or through the Fast Pass Plus line. You kind of just get risk through that and if there's less than a 30 minute wait you go right through all the interesting parts of the queue and i I mean you say the last few feet of splash mountain are the only interesting part well that's the only part of the queue at exhibition everest that has no interest to me is the last few feet and that's usually the only part that i wait in so that's my rebuttal to that and yes i'm grasping at straws take take the time Stand online. It's my turn to ask a question, right? Yes. All right, Dave, this is for you, and I, I think this will um, ease some of Gary's concerns. <laughs> Dave, from certain angles, you can see that ex- the Everest Mountain itself is not complete. Um, you know, it, it's spoiling the immersion. From the top of the mountain, you can see IHOPs from, uh, in, in Orlando. <laughs> Shouldn't that be considered? I mean, you're losing... The immersion effect of being in the park that just is not true for uh, Splash Mountain. No, it may not be true for Splash Mountain, but yet you don't really find mountains that look like that in the frontier. Um, If there is a more out of place ride in all of the Magic Kingdom, 
I don't know of one more out of place than Splash Mountain. I mean, this was a ride made for Critter Country and ended up in Frontierland, where it's supposed to be surrounded by things that are on the frontier of the American West. Um, so if we're going to talk about t- pulling you out of a story, I think Splash Mountain pulls you out of the story more than Expedition Everest ever does. More than being able to see steel girders? Mike, I, there are very, very few places you can see steel girders from, and if you're well, and if you wanted them to make the ride a little less impressive and a little less smaller, so that you couldn't squint and with your binoculars see an IHOP ten miles in the distance, I'm just not for that. I don't agree with your premise on that. I guess, Gary. Well. I'm actually going to come to Dave's defense somewhat here in that I can't particularly blame the engineers for Florida being as flat as an ironing board. So uh, it's hard to hard to really take issue with that. However, the parts of the mountains being incomplete, um, that is that is an issue. Um, I think it does uh, hurt Everest and saying that splash is out of place is kind of beside the point i think it fits in well whether the background theme does or not but the actual aesthetics of it fit in perfectly with that area of the park so i'll take umbrage to that point sight lines are a very important thing um and i think that they have managed to build more impressive sight lines with expedition everest and i think those outweigh the very very few ones where you can't where the sight line is interrupted. I, I, I just, I just, I don't see that as an issue. I really don't. Scott. All right, Gary, question for you. Does the fact that you get wet or even soaked make it an advantage or a disadvantage of Splash Mountain? I would say that it's an advantage. I mean, it's also in the name of it, Splash Mountain. <laughs> it's not like they call it Arid Mountain. So they're, they're not, <laughs> they're not catching you off guard with that. And there's, probably 30 signs in the last 10 feet of the queue that say you may get wet now's your last chance to exit so that being said i think it is an advantage um you live in florida you live within a nine iron of splash mountain more or less i mean there's got to be what 300 days that are over 80 degrees in florida per year so to get a little a little wet on on a ride is an advantage to me cools you off a little bit and i i've never gotten soaked where i felt uncomfortable i've gotten wet but soaked would be a little bit of an overstatement for me but maybe i've just been lucky um that doesn't affect me being wet on there i mean that's part of its charm probably one of the best parts of it is that you're terrified going down the hill that you might get wet or soaked which hardly ever happens I couldn't agree with my opponent more. I do think it is a um, an advantage for the ride. Um, the only the only if I were to try to shoehorn in here a, uh, a a criticism to further my point here, I guess the only thing I could say is that it, the answer to that question really depends on what time of year you're there, and um, you know what the weather's like. I guess so to speak. I mean, it is a ride that is dependent a little bit on that. Um, and I guess Expedition Everest is too because it's an outdoor coaster. So I mean, if it's raining. It's gonna be it's gonna be an issue, um, but I, I I don't think that I think getting wet is is also not only uh, an a, an advantage it also uh, it makes it unique at um, the Magic Kingdom and makes it special in that regard. Uh, but again, 
You have to make sure you're there when it's working. And that does tend to be a problem. Okay. Um, Gary, any rebuttal to that or a response? No, he was pretty nice to me that time. I'll let it (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my last question, and I think it will be Gary's last question as well, is um, both of these rides have very similar um, height restrictions. But which of these two do you consider more appropriate for kids? And kids being, you know, just to, just old enough to get to pass the height restrictions or or shortly thereafter and why do you consider it more appropriate um i honestly i would say both are perfectly appropriate for kids and that you have to know your own kid i mean once the the rider which obviously if you just hit 40 inches you're not going to be going on by yourself most likely so it's up to the parents to gauge where their child is um, Splash Mountain might be a little more tame, as we said in the first question, that Expedition Everest is definitely more of a thrill ride. But as far as being appropriate, I don't think Disney makes any rides that are inappropriate for anyone to ride as long as they meet the, the height restrictions. And I, I mean, sure, Splash might be a, a good way to get your feet wet, pun definitely intended, on a thrill ride. But I wouldn't hesitate to allow any kid to try any ride that they're comfortable with at Walt Disney World. Yeah, I, I have to agree with them on that. And I, and I also think that both rides make a point of showing everybody right off the bat that there is an extreme element to this, that something something scary may happen. And 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 while maybe the um, the audio animatronics and the song in, in, in Splash Mountain uh, perhaps make it, I don't want to say more appropriate, it's hard to say that it would be more appropriate because there still is that drop. You know, there still is the, everybody screaming and there still is the water aspect at the end. And that's the only part you see before you get on the ride. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, I have to agree. I, even though Expedition Everest is more extreme, you got to know your kid. He's 100% right on that. You got to know your kid. Any response, Gary, or should we move on to the last question of the no, night? No, let's, let's wrap this up here. Okay. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> All right, Dave, you ready? Yes. Your Yeti's broken. Why can't you just fix the damn thing? They fix broken <laughs> things on Splash. It, it is, and it is a big, it, it is the big uh, problem with this attraction. There's no doubt about it. Um, they should have made it smaller. Uh, they should have done the things that uh, they should have built a uh, it should have been able to see that the incredible power behind this groundbreaking audio animatronic, the most powerful animatronic ever created, um, should ha- would have caused the engineering issues that it caused, um, the permanent engineering issues that they caused. Yes, all that stuff is for certain true. However, I never give marks off for ambition. Uh, I just don't think trying to create the greatest audio animatronic um, ever created and by far the largest and most intimidating um, is something that we should be critical of. And as I said in the beginning, uh, I, I, I don't think that the loss of the animatronic has in any way lessened the overall quality. Now, if you're a person who has seen both like I have, then you 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 long for the days of that amazing thing that 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 came at you there. I mean, it was simply mind blowing, um, and it would be nice if it were fixed. But uh, 
That's to me, that's just not a reason to be critical of the ride itself right now, because all of the other innovations, the ride system, the reversing ride system, which is incredible, the amazing size and scope of it, the enforced perspective, the design, everything that is, is still makes it a superior experience and superior to Splash Mountain in my mind. Well, you just, I think you started to dig your own grave there, Dave, because you said that this animatronic is the greatest thing ever, and it's missing from your attraction. So how can something be so great without probably its best aspect of it? Sure, you can go backwards. I can go backwards on a roller coaster at Six Flags that's 45 minutes from my house, but this giant animatronic that they put a strobe light on is the the calling card of the attraction and as an apologist like you are trying to skirt around that fact you have to admit that that takes a lot away from the attraction sure the queue is great but disney doesn't make their money on queues they make their money on the experience of something that you will never forget and as you long for the days of the yeti working that's something that you'll never forget a strobe light on a stuffed animal that's all right. I can take that and take it or leave it. The roller coaster is the most popular thrill ride in the world. And Expedition Everest without a working Yeti remains the best roller coaster in Walt Disney World. And I think that's the answer. Shall we go on to our closing statements? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that would mean that... Um, Gary, Gary goes you first. go yeah. first. Yeah. Gary, you go first. Yes. I, I mean, what is there left to say? Splash Mountain is, is the reason that people book trips to go to Disney World. It's in the Magic Kingdom, which despite, obviously, your listeners, I'm speaking to the wrong audience here. It's the most <laughs> popular theme park. It's 99% of the people who go to Disney World, it's their favorite theme park. That being said... It's the reason people go. They see that. They use it in all their promotions. Every commercial you see on TV shows people going down Splash Mountain. And the animatronics, over 100 animatronics, a half mile of track, four drops, a 50-foot drop, 40 miles an hour top speed. You get wet. You see these amazing animatronics. The soundtrack is second to none. Uh, What more can I say? It's just, it's the most immersive and complete ride at Walt Disney World. Expedition Everest is the most immersive and complete ride in Walt Disney World. Uh, From the minute you walk through the door to the minute you get off, uh, it is the most incredible experience. um, Well, I should say the second most incredible experience at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Certainly of the thrill rides, it is the best of of them all. for a second there, I thought you might be conceding to Gary that uh, that Splash Mountain was the best. No, 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 no it is not. Uh, it's theming, it's research, uh, it is everything Walt Disney Imagineering uh, wants. Now, Gary said before that the average guest hasn't seen Song of the South and doesn't know the controversy. Maybe they should. Maybe that's something people should know. Uh, because it is part of the company's history, and it is a, par- a very important part of the company's history, whether you like it or not. Each of these mountains has its own big fault, right? The Yeti, 
and the history behind the film that they've based Splash Mountain on. Expedition Everest's fault is that it's, it tried too hard. Splash's fault is they didn't try hard enough. They should have based this ride and this idea and this theme on a different film, a more, accept, a more accepted film for the, for the current guest, uh, and something that didn't have those connotations that, got, that, that come with it. Um, and I think that ultimately fails Splash Mountain. Uh, yes, maybe we're ignorant, but I don't think we should be. Uh, and you certainly shouldn't be ignorant of Expedition Everest. Go see it as soon as you can. I think one thing we can all agree on, and I know I'm not allowed to rebut, is that Splash Mountain... Wait, where's my moderator? Where's my moderator? <laughs> no, this is just a joke. <laughs> is that Splash Mountain, as you just said with Song of the South, it would be much better if they just totally overlaid it in Frozen, and we can all agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Scott. Well, uh, despite uh, Gary's little uh, <laughs> Frozen reference at the end... What do you what do you think? Uh, how do what, how do you think the debate went? Um, I, kudos to both of you, Gary. The only thing I have to say for you is there was plenty of times where I think you could have really focused on Splash Mountain. I think you're trying to concede too much to Everest. Um, one I think of is talking about which one's more, uh, you know, geared towards children. I, mm-hmm. I, I like what you guys said. Is you know, it's it depends on the child itself. But you know, Dave made the point of there's a hundred ad- audio animatronics on it. You've got the music when I mean, you've got those things there that you know, essentially would point towards children. Um, so I think, you know, you, you could have focused more on a couple of things on splash as opposed to being more fair sighted on each of them. I, I kind of agree with that. And, and I thought, uh, uh, though I thought Gary at the very end with that last question about the Yeti being broken, uh, did a good job of sticking it to Dave though. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, guys, before, before I go, I just want to say this one thing. I don't want people to think that I was throwing out the whole history of the Song of the South just to just as sort of a debate point to get at Gary or to to, to make a you know to, to to score points that way. I really do honestly feel that way. I mean, I I I love Splash Mountain. I can't get past the fact that they base the film or base the ride on that film. I mean, there was so many options to make that. Like Gary said, they can overlay the whole thing with Frozen tomorrow. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's so many possibilities that they could have done there, and I just don't know why they chose to do that. And I, and and uh, yeah, maybe people are ignorant of it, and I, I and I was for a long, long time too. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, I, I I never use ignorance as a pass in these things. <laughs> well, just to add to it, I've got a, a copy of Song of the South, an HD copy, and I've got to say, I, I bought it at an antique store in the South. It was right in the middle of you know the heart of Georgia, where you know the Civil War, you know plantations, all that stuff of the like were were right around there, and every single antique store I went into had multiple copies of that. So the fact that it's, you know, they're obviously not the ones kind of shunning it. I, you know, I've never seen it for right. sale in the North anywhere. No, um, never. Yeah, never. But you know, I've got to say it's just like you know what Gary said in, you know, continuing that NAACP quote is the film itself. You know, take out the the story itself, but the film. For being seventy plus years old, it's a masterpiece of its time. Um, it, I, I, I would agree with that, but only in the aspect of the technical filmmaking part yes. of it. 
Um, I, I, it may be, you know, it was certainly innovative in some of the things that it did and the music was catchy, although it drives you nuts if you're not a big fan of it. Right. I mean, you sing the songs over here. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, uh, one of the lines I was saving in case we talked about songs was, uh, you know, it's second in annoyance only to it's a small world when you're walking around magic kingdom. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, it's just, you can't, you can't get past what it does. Right. right. The film, the story, the music, all that. You can't get past what it's doing when the way that because I've seen the film and it does it does water down the whole slave master relationship, um, you know, and certainly it's, you know, it, <sighs> I just I just can't see a lot of people walking around singing zippity doodah back then in Uncle Remus's uh, situation that he was in. You know, I, I I just don't see it, and and it and it it portrays something. Um, Mike, uh, help me with trying to trying to say this. I, it it has an underlying feeling about it that's not overtly. They're not coming out and saying racist mm-hmm. things, which I think people get confused by, right? People think that that's right. what it's all about. So yeah, right. when you when you see the film, you don't hear anything overtly racist, but when you put it in context of what the actual historic you know what what that era was like in our history then that's when you start to see it so it's almost like you have to step back from the film in order to get that you know yeah i mean uh, i agree i've never actually seen the film myself to be honest i've never seen the whole thing i've seen wow. parts here and there but i've never seen the whole thing but yes what you said is actually very very true well listen gentlemen thank you very much for joining us um thank you very much for debating us um and uh, before we go, guys, plugs, please. Plugs. Scott, plugs. Uh, DixieLandingsRadio.com, DLR Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, all those fun things. And I'm personally on that uh, Instagram, uh, at Scotty Boy, and Twitter, at Scott A. Campbell. Gary, plugs, plugs. All I can think of is 100 audio animatronic Olafs right now on <laughs> Frozen Mountain. Um, no, my show is porfavorpodcast.podbean.com on Twitter and Facebook at porfavorpodcast. And we have a very sparse YouTube channel, youtube.com slash porfavorpodcast. So check us out there. And thanks once again. You can find myself on Twitter at Radio Harambe. Mike is at Jombo Everyone. You can find our website, jomboeveryone.com. Go there, browse around, find our Animal Kingdom merchandise, unofficial Animal Kingdom merchandise there. You can learn about uh, the conservation partners that we're looking to help as well. Um, I guess that's it. I think we've done it all here for Safari Mike, for Scott, for Gary. I'm Dave McBride, Quaharini. Go well, and thank you for listening to Radio Harambe. Atamilene, I'm